Welcome back to Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Brian Goff. Hey, Brian. Hey, Sheila. And Dr. Jenna Lejeune. So nice to see you again. So, you guys, I always like to explain why I get really passionate about people. And I had an interview with Ken Cervera. Uh, Correct pronunciation there, right, Ken? Uh, You nailed it. I had an interview with (laughs) Ken Cervera that moved me so deeply because this is a guy who hosts a podcast um, called Own Your Truth. And what he's essentially doing is taking stories of people who've suffered greatly and who have learned really incredible lessons from that suffering. And so I was thinking, well, Jenna and Brian are going to love this guy because that's essentially their practice, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. right well, up my alley. And Ken is also the director of wellness at the Reswell program at the Mind Health Institute in Pasadena. And Ken, I just want to first of all welcome you to the show and thank you for doing such a tremendously important podcast. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here with you with all of you today. Really excited. So could you just give us a little bit of background, Ken, on why you decided to do Own Your Truth podcast? What what interested you about post-traumatic growth? You know, it's it, it evolved organically, honestly, through a long process of me getting through my own difficult sort of dark journey and then arriving uh, actually pretty serendipitously in the field of mental health. Um, and being able to hear multiple stories of some of the the pain and difficult times that other people have been through, parents, kids. um, And I just realized early on in my journey within the field of mental health, I, I started to see little bits and pieces of myself and other people's suffering. Hmm. And I was inspired by these stories that due to HIPAA compliance, I could never share, Yeah, which I just felt was such a tragedy because it felt like if the rest of the world could hear people who were going through this kind of journey, whether it was suicidality, severe depression or anxiety or having kids who were in crisis, um, there was just so many inspiring moments of resilience and strength that the rest of the world couldn't see that I was taking home with me and it was lighting me up. It was really giving me the the fuel I needed to quote unquote own my truth. And so it, it was a part of my journey to really, it inspired me to find a, a platform or create one where I could directly connect with other individuals who were maybe going through some of the same things either I had struggled with or stories I had heard about mm-hmm. and that is really the the origin story of the Own Your Truth podcast. It's so beautiful. You know, I think most people in their lives want to avoid the pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. But after listening to this podcast, you're like, whoa, these people turned into superheroes, yeah. you know? Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Uh, you had an episode, I think it was three episodes ago, called Your Dark Story. And um, mm. it was your own account of what had happened to you as a young man um, and I want you to share that with Brian and Jenna, if you would, Ken. Yeah, I, that was a pretty dark moment in my life. It was a 2009 sort of where it all came to uh, to a close. Um, it was just a period of my life where I just felt really isolated and alone and, and lost. I quite honestly didn't know what my purpose was anymore. And I think knowing, I guess, the the way my personality works is I took a special kind of pride in not sharing pain. And there was a moment where, you know, 
I decided um, this is it for me. I decided I wanted to end my own life and, and wanted to do it in a way where the people that were closest to me and, and loved me the most wouldn't be as impacted as if I had left a suicide note. Um, so I wanted to cover it up as a as a roadway accident. And, and all of this stuff you can really get from the episode. Um, but what I want to really share today is, I guess, what got me to that moment, which was just feeling embarrassed and ashamed to share hmm. where I was at. Because for me, I had constructed an identity of being strong and resilient and the person that people go to when they need help. So for me to even think about the idea of sharing it, or the fact that I wasn't in pain, a lot of it, mm-hmm. uh, that was a fate for me worse than death. So I think the reason I got there was a lot of that stemmed from habits uh, as a young kid. Really, I had pretty severe ear infections as a kid um, to the point where I remember my mother was having a conversation with the doctor when he examined my ears. He uh, looked at my mom and said, how is this child not screaming in pain? So I think from a pretty young age, I just got very used to associating a certain amount of pain as normal. You know, it didn't dawn on me at that age. You mean other people don't have severe piercing pain through their ear canal? Doesn't everybody deal with this? So I sort of developed this habit, I guess, of asking myself, what's the point of sharing pain? Um, Going through those pivotal moments in life when I left college and sort of was at a loss with what I wanted to do with my life and didn't open up or connect and have conversations with those who were close to me about the way I was feeling, it it just sort of compounded. You know, I could just sort of feel my own habits working against me and my own mindset. Um, And I guess the best way to describe this point in my life is that for years I sort of quietly struggled with or hated the noise of my own thoughts. And this really evolved into me hating the sound of my own voice. So even for me doing the podcast was a bit of a struggle. And a lot of days it, it still is because I have to overcome it with, with each episode. Wow. Just hearing myself is a bit of a trip. Um, wow. Yeah, my mindset back then was, was pretty, pretty difficult. I was very hard on myself. <laughs> I want, back on those Ken, days. I want to just bring in um, Dr. Goff because I know, especially with young men, I, he's going to probably <laughs> relate to a lot of what you're saying. First, about this kind of shield that young men put up in terms yeah. of being masculine and being able to handle it, especially pain. You're not supposed to talk about pain, yeah. both physical mm. or emotional, and how that can cascade to the point where people are feeling like, I have no one. I have no one who knows Mm. me or really understands what's going on with me. Right. Yeah. I mean, you said it. I think, I think the message for a lot of us guys is that we're supposed to, um, fix things. We're supposed to manage things. We're supposed to, uh, you know, be problem solvers Mm -hmm. and, um, Mm -hmm. and not the people who say, okay, wait, that's a lot or that hurts or I'm sad or I just need a good cry. Like there's something mm-hmm. almost antithetical to traditional, to- uh, traditional, I was going to say toxic, but I think traditional masculinity that we we're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be, you know, tough. 
That's the idea, right? And to mm-hmm. me, like uh, the thing that I just resonates with me, Ken, in what you're talking about is the isolation that that creates. Um, one of my uh, mm-hmm. soapboxes is people who, you know, they, you know, everybody does this now on social media where you have hundreds or maybe even thousands of people who follow you, but it's this curated life of these perfect little Mm. pictures and you still feel alone. Well, I can do the same sort of thing face to face by sort of curating my experience in real time to say everything's Mm. cool or to make a joke or to um, not share what's going on in my life with anybody. And um, I can be alone in a crowded room. You know, mm-hmm. Ken, you said something so beautiful in your podcast that is is ringing off of what um, Dr. Goff just mentioned, and that was that you were you were an ex- you were experiencing a loneliness, you were experiencing a degree of loneliness that you didn't think was possible as a human being. I I remember mm-hmm. hearing that phrase and thinking, "Wow, I really want to know more about how a guy who's as handsome, as well-spoken, as <laughs> capable as you are got to that point." And I think Brian just just hit on it. Would you agree with yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, that's the best way I can describe it. I mean, it really it, things got to the point where you know, I could be in social settings and situations with friends and and many times the life of the party and having fun and then also feeling just completely alone and isolated. Yeah. You know, like it's just wearing of this mask that got to be so heavy to the point where I just started to remove myself mm. over yeah. time um, from those situations and environments because it just, in some in many ways, it was kind of a reminder of the loneliness and that right. darkness you- and that period of my life where I just struggle to connect with people in an authentic way you know and some of those habits still linger on today like i I don't know this is oversharing but sorry baby uh my wife she's an amazing woman (laughs) who lovingly jokes she's like you know babe it wasn't for me you wouldn't have any friends and she's absolutely right because i just for years i did not do well at maintaining friendships Mm. i Right. People would reach out to hang out and connect, and it for me after a while it just became exhausting to pretend like I wanted to do that. I usually felt energized in solitude, not in social environments. Yeah, and I think the biggest part of that that rings true is really the terrible habit that I evolved was when I realized I'm going to exit. I'm going to end my life. This is back in 2009. So what's the point of putting any more effort and energy and time and developing these connections that I'm going to leave? But but those habits still ring true today, not not as profoundly, but I I just have to be aware of it um, because it does come up quite often. You know, Um, Ken, uh, the... It is. It's effortful to have the shield up, right? I mean, it, or the persona. Mm-hmm. It's it's like the pressure of having to take the perfect picture for Instagram times whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But then also, and I think a lot of people have this experience that when you're by yourself, you're alone. But you're only really, it all, almost seems like you're a special kind of loneliness when you feel alone mm-hmm. around other people. Mm. Right? Mm. And, and so it's like, if I'm by myself, then that feeling of like, oh, it's just me here, um, 
it's like it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Of course it's of course it is and as it should be because I'm by myself right now. But when I'm in a group of people and I see them like laughing and making eye contact and socializing and even people who are doing that with me and this voice that says you are so alone no one no one knows. No mm-hmm. one knows mm-hmm. that that is just this special level of of um isolation. Yeah, I I I mean I guess I would say that I don't think loneliness has much to do with how many people you have around you. Mm-hmm. Loneliness so has to do with whether the stuff that is occurring on the inside of you is known by others. Mm-hmm. And I was struck, Ken, by mm-hmm. something you said when, uh, about having those ear infections. And you said, uh, you know, as a little kid, you thought, what, not everybody has this like piercing thing going through, going <laughs> through their head? And yeah. like... Isn't that interesting of when we don't, when we, when we can't share what's going on, we can't get feedback about other people's experience. So whether it's your assumption that, oh, well, I guess this is just normal. Everybody has this or the opposite, which is, well, nobody else suffers this way that I am. Nobody else Mm. feels as dark as I am. That's where the loneliness comes through. And I think one of my personal feelings about where the mental health community has failed is that we perpetuate this idea that the solution is to get rid of the suffering versus Mm. my perspective is the solution is to be able to get the suffering out in the open and to be able to have people talk about it so that we can respond to it in more effective ways. Um, and I think, mm. you know, trying to do this thing of, well, you're, you're broken, you're, you're ill, you have some mental disease and therefore go fix it. Don't talk about go, it. Go right? to the doctor yeah. and yes. get it fixed and then yeah. you can come back to the party. And then you yeah. can talk about it. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's, that's just perpetuating that problem. Yeah. Ken, if you would, yeah. I hope you're willing to share some of the details about what happened when you got on your motorcycle that day. Because I feel as if there was um, some kind of intervention, and I don't, you know, I don't know why it occurred, but I do think that there was an intervention that allowed you to sort of change the trajectory that you were on. Would you talk oh, about yeah. that? Absolutely. That that was surreal. I mean, it was almost to this day. I I can't really do it justice even in my own voice or just explaining it because it really was this perfectly timed moment where I had just made it through the intersection and just experienced you know everything you do when the nervous system's trying to settle you down right like you're shaking shivering and then got through that point of like realizing I just tried to end my life the shame of that was so incredibly overpowering and I just literally looked around, no one was there from one second to the next. And my second thought was like, okay, let's get back out in the intersection, get this done. Cause I don't want to live with this or like this mm. with the knowledge that this is what I just did. And then as I was looking back to go do that, <laughs> the LAPD rolled up beside me. Um, it's just surreal. And then the officer just rolled down his window and, and looked at me and said, that was your life right there. And that just, it woke me up. I mean, I, <laughs> he was right. Um, and then he just said, go home. It was just so eerie and like spooky the way it happened. It was like wow. this, he was there from one second to the next. And 
rolled up his windows and then rolled away. But and didn't that, even give you a moment, ticket. Oh. That's what's, you know, the most <laughs> re- remarkable thing about that is in L.A., where they're going to really slap you with a $300 fine if you just breathe wrong. The guy just said that was your life and rolled up the window. I find that, I yeah. find that just haunting. So what it's did you so start ha- doing? Like, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Ken. Oh, no, I was just going to agree with you. I think I was expecting to get a ticket. I was like, this guy, oh, of course I get a ticket right now because it's L.A. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, what did you start doing differently after that day, Ken, in terms of your thinking, uh, how you were caring for, for yourself, and, and your willingness to ask for help? Oh, after, I mean, that, that ride home was just, that was, that was the moment I decided, well, I, 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 I'm not going to do this. So I had to make a conscious choice to decide to, to live, really. Um, that, but I decided that um, uh, in that moment and, and on, the, on the ride back home, I just it, it began with a conscious choice. Like my awareness in that moment was so profound. Um, and I'll never forget the way I felt at that intersection. Um, and I think one of the biggest tools I took away from that moment was for years, I was like, you know, the first two to three years in that dark space, um, I was convincing myself this is something you need to get over so you can be whole again. And then somewhere around year four or five, I just realized there's nothing to get over. There's nothing to, and this is just my experience here, so take this with a grain of salt. But I decided I'm going to carry this with me. It's going to be a part of me. It's not going away, and I don't have to be ashamed of it anymore. Mm-hmm. In yes. fact, it's the thing that just really opens me up. Like it actually, it's that moment opened up my life and the way I view all of my relationships and how I connect with other people because I know nothing will ever be mm-hmm. able to get me back to that intersection. But it, but when life gets hard again and God forbid something traumatic happens to me or someone I love, like I know what it feels like to give up, to be broken so having those lessons in that moment and just making a, a conscious choice to carry that darkness with me and not be ashamed of it and actually be grateful. For me, gratitude was the beginning of the healing process for me. Like there was a moment <clears throat> where I was in a session with a parent who was sharing very openly about some of the struggles of, of their child and how they were suicidal. And this was, you know, years later from me being at that intersection. And I just remember in my office, I was like, oh, okay, I I get it. I get it now. Like I I was meant Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. go through that intersection. I was meant to be in that dark place so that I could come out of it and be fully present Mm -hmm. with this person in the room. Yes. I I think. I love that, that these, these, dark times, the suffering that we as humans go through isn't just something to try and get through. It can be this profound teacher if we're open to yeah. it. Yeah. I love Absolutely. that part of your story. Absolutely. Yeah. So Ken, you're it's now you're now yeah. married and you have a, a three-year-old son. And I was thinking about what you've been through, how it must inform you as a parent so that you, you know, when your son cries, you're like, yeah, 
good job, you know, telling me what you're feeling, right? I mean, I can imagine that, that, that you're thinking about this every day as you raise a toddler into a boy, into a young man. Oh, every day, Sheila. It's, it's a constant. Like, there, it's, it's such a daily part of my existence as a father and watching my son. Oh, my God, when he cries, too, it's like these Disney movie big eye tears <laughs> that you're just like, uh, here's a pony, don't cry, stop, stop. But, but the, the flip side of that coin for me is really those moments where I get to be there, like you're saying, just fully present with him, yeah. holding him and saying, I'm sorry. Yeah, son, that you're you're pain. You're in pain. He got an owie yesterday. You know, I hel- I must have took twenty minutes to calm him down, give him a, a nice pack, and hug him out. And I'm just teaching him to not be ashamed of of the tears and the crying. Yeah. Um, one, oh man, one moment in particular where we were in the living room. <clears throat> this is after a couple of uh, Palomas, and and we're a little tipsy, and <laughs> we, we like to have fun with our kiddo. We take him to couple of favorite brunch spots in Highland Park but we were home that evening and I was we just finished reading a book and we're putting him down for bed and then the book I was reading to him was about these kids who were lost in this dark forest and they come across this very scary black looking wolf with red eyes and I think it scared him it's kind of a, an advanced book for a three-year-old but the lesson of the story uh, is that these kids encountered this wolf again in the forest and it turns out to be this cute little puppy hmm. so it's a really sweet endearing story but I'll never forget this moment because my son as we're about to tuck him down <clears throat> to bed he's like dada were you in a dark forest you know it's like one of those moments where oh. you're wow. thinking this kid's three he doesn't wow. know he can't wow. freaking know but then the other part of my brain's like maybe he does uh-huh. like maybe on some level my son understands <clears throat> that his father was in pain so yeah and I sees just, you that moment just really shook me but it was so beautiful because i could actually just i lost it like i was crying oh. you know i gave him a big hug and i yeah. said yes son dada was in a dark forest and mama helped him get out oh, and that's the truth Beautiful, Ken. I am so hoping, because our time's limited today, Ken, that you can make it to Portland and sit here with us for another session. I'm such a big fan of your podcast now and of the work that you're doing at the Mind Health Institute. I could talk to you all day. Honestly, your story resonates with so Mm -hmm. many people, I think especially young men hearing it today. And I'm really, really grateful you chose to share it with us, Ken. Thank you guys for this opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, and again, you. the host of the podcast, Own Your Truth. Get it on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, Ken. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. You've been listening to Beyond Well, and if you love the podcast, we would love a review. You can leave it at iTunes, Spotify, or over on Podbean. One of the things that we're doing is asking for contributions to the Foundation for Excellence in Mental Health Care because they believe, like we do, that suffering is being human. Thanks again. From Portland, Oregon, this is Sheila Hamilton. <laughs>